Hello and welcome to edition number 1863 of the Whitney Talking News, which we are recording on Thursday the 13th of May 2021 at the Methodist Church in the High Street in Whitney. I'm Alan Ravel and I edited this edition. We have two readers this week, Barbara Barringer and John Ashwell. Our recording engineer this week is Eric Imerson. And as is usual, we have items taken mainly from the Whitney Gazette. There's plenty of election news this week, but we will begin with a story about a chance for all of us to comment on plans to relieve congestion on the A40, which will be read by Barbara. Yeah, this is an online exhibition of plans for the upgrade of the clogged A40 road. Drivers who suffer daily misery commuting from Whitney to Oxford can now have their say on multi-million pound schemes to improve the A40. Up to an estimated 32,000 vehicles a day use the congested route, which has been described by business leaders and Whitney MP Robert Courts as one of the biggest barriers to economic growth in the district. Oxfordshire County Council is now planning £180 million of major road and infrastructure improvements that could come as a huge relief to queues of frustrated commuters. And the council is seeking the views of residents and road users in two new online exhibitions on the scheme, lasting all month. The delivery of infrastructure is key to supporting sustainable development in Whitney, Ensham and related new developments in West Oxfordshire, the council said. It is investing in six major schemes which will deliver a proposed new park and ride facility at Ensham, an extension of the dual carriageway around Whitney and new bus lanes and junction improvements. The first exhibition covers the details of the access to the Whitney Road Improvement Scheme at Shaw's Green. Campaigners have called for the A40 junction in East Whitney over Oxford Hill to be turned into a four-way junction for a decade, with more than a thousand people signing an online petition. The second exhibition covers the A40 Smart Corridor plans, which include transforming the A40 into a dual carriageway between Whitney and a proposed new park and ride north of the A40, west of Cuckoo Lane at Ensham. An extension of a bus lane westbound out of Oxford from Duke's Cut Canal Bridge to Ensham is also proposed. The County Council secured £102 million from the Housing Infrastructure Fund in 2019 and since then has been working on designs, surveys, stakeholder engagement and land acquisition. Duncan Enright, a Labour County Councillor, said the public exhibitions were good news. He added, it's a sign of progress for a start. We have been waiting a long time for a four-way junction at Shaw's Green. He said plans for bus lanes from Ensham to Duke's Cut would get scheduled bus services into Oxford much more quickly. However, some have suggested the money could be better spent. Dan Levy, a Lib Dem County Councillor, said, It's not a very good scheme. There are 32,000 cars a day on the A40 and the park and ride has 800 spaces. It's not popular around here, 
because it's not going to solve the problem. A railway would be much more preferable. Not necessarily doing nothing on the A40, but a railway is much more likely to be effective. Due to COVID restrictions, the Council is holding engagement sessions to present the proposals and allow residents to ask questions and offer comments online. Members of the project team will be available during a series of online live chat events. These will take place on May the 17th about the A40 Smart Corridor, May the 18th about access to Whitney and Saturday, May the 22nd, covering both schemes. Any questions that cannot be answered immediately will be replied to within 48 hours. Questions must be submitted in advance on the Council's webpage. A printed summary of the exhibition material is available for those with limited access to the web. The exhibitions will be open until 11.59pm on May the 30th. For queries, email a, that's a small a, 40 corridor at oxfordshire.gov.uk or call 01865 Next is John with the first of a number of stories from the elections held across our area last Thursday. Right, this one's headed up Royal, sorry, Rural Voters Back Tories and Deliver a Shock Chippy Result. West Oxfordshire District Council's election saw the Conservatives sweep most of the seats up for grabs. West Oxfordshire residents across 17 wards in the district were asked to elect new councillors in a poll that was delayed from 2020 due to the pandemic. The Conservatives won in 10 out of these seats, with Labour taking three centred around Whitney and Chipping Norton. The Liberal Democrats winning three and the Greens emerging victorious in Whitney North. It was a similar picture in the Oxfordshire County Council elections, with Labour taking Chipping Norton and Whitney North and East from the Tories in a shock result. Overall, the Conservatives lost nine county seats. While the County Council has been left with no overall control as a result of the vote, the Conservatives remain the largest party in WODC. The District Council usually holds elections for one-third of its councillors on a yearly basis and would have had a year off elections in the fourth year. Last year, elections were due to take place for seats in 17 wards on the Council, but the coronavirus pandemic put paid to the polls. Instead, the elections for a third of the Council which were due to take place in 2020, will now take place this year. Because the elections have been postponed, the district councillors elected in 2021 will only serve a three-year term and stand for re-election in 2024. There are 49 councillors elected to West Oxford District Council who, between them, represent 27 different communities separated into different wards. Upheaval over county as Tories lose ground to rivals. The Conservative leader of Oxfordshire County Council was among those who lost his seat in an election results day where his party saw many majorities overturned. 
The council has been left with no overall majority control as a result of the election. The Conservative group remains the largest on the council, but it now has only 22 seats, far short of the 32 needed to claim power. Following them were the Liberal Democrats with 21 seats, the Labour Party with 15, the Greens with 3 and the Henley Residence Group with 1. One seat went to independent candidate Les Sibley of Bicester West. It remains to be seen what kind of governing group will now be formed. Ian Hudspeth, the leader of the council and councillor for Woodstock, was among the Tory councillors who lost their seats. He thanked his Conservative colleagues and wished good luck to those who had won in their council divisions again. It was all change in many of the 63 electoral divisions across the county from the first result that came in. In that result, Labour's Mark Cherry lost his Banbury Ruscott seat to Conservative Jane Strangewood as candidates gathered for the count in Banbury's Spice Ball Leisure Centre. Labour, meanwhile, gained Chipping Norton and North and East from the Conservatives. Both of these seats had Tory councillors who had resigned from the party in the run-up to the elections to sit as independents. The Greens also gained two extra seats from the Conservatives in Kidlington South and in Berinsfield and Garsington, as well as holding the Wallingford seat they won at a by-election in 2019. But the Liberal Democrats were the party that shook up the political makeup of the council most. As well as claiming the Woodstock seat from Mr Hudspeth, they claimed seats in other former Conservative strongholds in Ensham, Tame and Chinna and Otmore, while holding on to marginal seats like Sutton Courtney and Marcham. Oxford Lib Dem MP Leila Moran, who took part in canvassing, said her party had experienced sensational results. The election count took place at four different venues across Oxfordshire, whereas it would usually take place in just one. Venues included Banbury's Spice Ball Leisure Centre, Oxford Town Hall, the White Horse Leisure Centre in Abingdon and the Windrush Leisure Centre in Whitney. In the primary count centre at the Spice Ball Leisure Centre, the mood among candidates was quiet and tense as they awaited results but there was also civil and often friendly discussion across party lines. Ousted county leader Mr Hudspeth, who lost his Woodstock seat to Lib Dem Andy Graham, has been a county councillor since 2005 and leader since 2012. He said, It is disappointing, obviously, but that is democracy for you, and that is what the ballot box has said. He now plans to spend some time relaxing, before deciding what to do next. This piece is headed up Mayor re-elected for second term. Mayor Joy Aitman has been re-elected following a Whitney Town Council meeting. Her deputy, Liz Duncan, and both the leader, Lucy Ashbourne, and deputy leader, Vicky Gwatkin, were also re-elected to serve for a second year. Usually, mayors serve for one year. However, Whitney Town Council has decided to allow a second term of office given the impact of the coronavirus pandemic on the first year. Mrs Aitman said, I was absolutely delighted to be elected 
for a second term as Mayor of Whitney, along with my deputy Liz Duncan. Last year most of our work was on Zoom or small Covid-secure visits. This year we hope to be back out amongst the community, throwing ourselves into work alongside various projects in the town and raising funds for our amazing charities. We will be striving to, to reunite the residents of Whitney and continue to support those most affected by the crisis. Please do contact us if you would have a visit or have, a, or have suggestions. Mrs Aitman was elected as mayor in a historic first for the council last year. The, the meeting on the May the 13th was the first virtual one that the council had taken part in. And the last of our election reports. Tory elected new head of Thames Valley Police Area. Matthew Barber has been elected as the next Thames Valley Police and Crime Commissioner. The Conservative candidate won with 313,148 votes. Labour's Letitia Carter came second with 233,446 votes. The election was so close after the first preference votes were tallied that officials were forced to count people's second choices. Initially, Mr Barber was in the lead with 267,404 votes, first preference votes, and Miss Carter had 175,123. John Howson for the Liberal Democrats secured 110,072 votes and Alan Robinson, who stood as an independent, got 76,210 ballots. The two candidates with the lowest votes were eliminated, leaving it neck and neck between the two main political parties. But no candidate secured 50% of the preference votes, meaning the second preference votes of all who did not vote for Mr Barber or Miss Carter, were counted. By 6pm, one reporter at the Spice Ball Leisure Centre said they assumed they were in it for the long haul after Tory candidate Mr Barber arrived with a pizza. <laughs> but within an hour, at 7.30pm, the winner was announced. In the second round, Mr Barber secured 45,744 votes and Miss Carter had 58,323 more crosses to her name. The role of the Police and Crime Commissioner, which was created in November 2012, is to set out the way crime is tackled by police. They do this by making a Police and Crime Plan, a document that outlines how much money the police expect to have in the next four years, the length of term in the office, and how they plan to use the cash to cut crime in the area. The plan is then realised by the Chief Constable. County has now recorded no Covid deaths since March. There have been no Covid-19 deaths in Oxfordshire, the latest figures show. The rate of infection in Oxfordshire now stands at 4,911 cases per 100,000 people, lower than the England average of 6,887. According to the government's website, as of 4pm on Monday, there were 11 new cases recorded in the county, four less than were recorded last Monday. The latest death recorded in the county happened on March the 30th.
Meanwhile, 67.3% of adults had received their first dose of a COVID-19 vaccine and nearly 40% had received their second. Now there's three news items in brief. More than 100 charity jobs at risk. Animal rehoming charity Blue Cross has announced with regret that it has entered into consultation with 110 employees whose jobs are at risk of redundancy. Blue Cross has rehoming centres in Oxfordshire, including in Newknoll and Burford, with shops across the county. The charity has explained it is not immune to the effects of the pandemic and is struggling financially. Emma Sword, medium officer, oh sorry, media officer for Blue Cross, said the reality, oh sorry, the reality is we need to make £100 million worth of savings in 2021. We also need the right structure in place to ensure we are best placed to fulfil our three-year strategy to help more pets and people who need our help across the UK. We know this will be a a difficult and unsettling time for those affected. Their well-being is of the highest priority to us. Blue Cross said it was thankful to its dedicated staff who have enabled the charity to rehome 4,831 animals and treated more than 32,000 pets over the past 12 months. And the second item is Firm Plans Long Golf Day. A mechanical and electrical company is trying to raise money for a hospice by playing 72 holes of golf in one day. Dark and Taylor, based in Longhambra, is hoping to raise thousands for Sobel House, a hospice based at the Churchill Hospital in Oxford, which provides palliative care. The longest golf day challenge will take place on June the 24th, starting at 6am and finishing around 8pm. And the third item is Burford Bank Shots. The Burford branch of the TSB Bank in Sheep Street has closed. Customers are being told they can do their banking at post offices on Burford High Street, Milton under Witchwood and Carterton. A National Federation of Sub-Postmasters spokesman said post offices are proving vital to retaining people's and businesses' access to cash as the banks continue to desert the high street. Now we have an item about the police. Thames Valley Police wants to hire more officers from black, Asian and minority ethnic backgrounds. In an online event on Sunday, the force invited people from BAME backgrounds to chat with officers. The officers talked about experiences of joining Thames Valley Police, the reasons why they joined and challenges they had, they had to overcome in a bid to inspire people who will represent the communities that they serve. Work of specialist teams were also highlighted as officers spoke from the road policing unit, incident response team, surveillance team, mounted policing unit, neighbourhood policing team and the dog unit. Waste electricals recycled at some county libraries. You can once again donate electrical goods to be repaired or reused at some Oxfordshire libraries. Oxfordshire County Council has restarted the scheme, which was suspended while libraries were operating a click-and-collect service only. Drop-off points for unwanted small electricals in good condition are in Banbury, Bicester, Whitney, Oxfordshire, 
Bridgeshire County Library in the Westgate Centre, Cowley and Blackbird Lees. A crate will be provided at the library entrance. The items will be collected by Bister Green or Orinoco, two charities that help reuse and recycle waste. Volunteers will make minor repairs, test items for electrical safety and they will be sold on to benefit the charities. The drop-off point is for small items only, such as kettles and radios. The libraries are not able to accept televisions, television monitors, microwaves, white goods or fridges or anything damaged beyond repair. People need to remove disposable batteries, except rechargeable lithium-ion batteries, such as in cordless power tools or mobile phones. Special Phoenix Comic Cheers Young Patients Children can take comfort from an Oxfordshire comic when they arrive at hospital for an operation. A special version of the Phoenix has been created for young patients coming in for surgery at Oxfordshire Children's Hospital and the Horton General Hospital. The Incredible Hospital comic has been funded by Oxfordshire Children's Hospital's charity and created by the Charities Art Link programme in conjunction with the Phoenix comic with 5,000 copies printed so far to give to the young patients. It has stories written and drawn in a child-friendly way that answer questions they often ask and includes jokes, puzzles and a gallery of the cuddly toys youngsters take into hospital. The 34-page magazine was planned with input from patients as well as hospital staff. The stories take children uh, through what to expect at various stages of their hospital stay and familiarises them with procedures and staff they will meet. Ruth Charity, the charity's arts coordinator, said the idea for the comic came about from conversations with staff about how to reassure children, especially those who had never been at a hospital before. We spent a long time trying to get the magazine exactly right so it would really appeal to children, entertain them and make them laugh while also answering the kind of questions we know they have and allaying their fears about having an operation. The Phoenix team have, has been incredible to work with and so patients as projects like these take a long time to get right. And just before we started printing, COVID hit, so we managed to quickly add a section about staff wearing PPE. Since then, the magazine has been read by hundreds of children, including, unexpectedly, the child of artist Neil Cameron, who created the central comic strip following a child's experience of having an operation. Mr Cameron said, When I was approached to work on this special version of the Phoenix, I spent days up at the hospital talking to doctors, nurses, play specialists and running interviews and workshops with kids on the wards and in the hospital school. It took a long time, but it really mattered to all of us to get it just right. We were all so pleased with the end result and hoped it would make a big difference. Then this March, with pandemic restrictions all still in place, I had to take my son into the children's hospital for an operation. Children's Hospital matron Zoe Pooley said, We absolutely adore this special version of the Phoenix. 
Children love it and their parents also have a good read. Three more news in brief items. Now booking for cinema nights under the stars. Tickets for an open-air cinema series at Blenheim Palace have gone on sale. The programme of films from August the 12th to the 15th includes the Oscar-winning Queen biopic Bohemian Rhapsody and the iconic Star Wars A New Hope. Fans can take a journey to the golden age of cinema with Marilyn Monroe's Some Like It Hot or test their vocal skills at a sing-along version of the smash hit musical The Greatest Showman. The films will be shown on giant screens with state-of-the-art sound systems. Tickets cost £16 for adults. George Wood, founder of the Lunaf Cinema, said there could hardly be a more anticipated summer than this 2021 post-lockdown season. Your favourite film, The People You've Missed, or Just Missed Spending Quality Time With, A Starry Summer Sky Above, and all around you the most inspiring and beautiful settings. Visit Blenheim Palace's website for details. And the second item is nature lovers going wild for 30 days. Thousands of nature lovers will be waking with a big wild breakfast to kick off, tick off, oh sorry, to kick off the Wildlife Trust's 30 Days Wild Scheme. This year, the UK's biggest nature challenge starts on June the 1st with mass outdoor breakfast. Last year, more than 6,000 people across Oxfordshire, Berkshire and Buckinghamshire took part in the National 30 Days Wild Challenge. To take part, wildlife enthusiasts are asked to pledge to do one wild thing every day during the month of June. Random acts of wildness include listening to birdsong, taking wildlife photographs, going on a big on a bug hunt, jumping in puddles or planting seeds. And the final item is units at industrial estate are now full. A new industrial estate is now full after the final units was let or sold. Standy Court in Whitney has filled its 35 units within 18 months of building work finishing. Recent transactions saw Blenheim Flooring, Dovecote Windows and Oxy Plum all take five-year leases. Half the units were let or sold since the turn of the year, all at market rates. John Silversides from Carter Jonas said, The rate at which the units have been taken up reflects the quality of the space available. Now this is the last item in the first half of the programme. And it's headed up finishing touches for Waxy Sir Winston. Colour and hair artist Sue Day has added the finishing touches to a waxwork model of Sir Winston Churchill. She is part of a team preparing for the opening of a major new exhibition on the Greatest Britain, which opens at Blenheim Palace in Woodstock next month. The life-size figure will take pride of place in the new exhibition dedicated to Churchill's lifelong association with his beloved birthplace. Curated by internationally renowned sculptor Jethro Crabb, the bust was initially carved out of clay, which was covered in silicone to make a mould and then filled with a special formula of wax. The final stage involved Musday painstakingly inserting individual hair follicles into the scalp 
and then carefully colouring matching the face before the life-size figure is assembled and clothed. In order to make the completed figure as realistic as possible, designers contacted Churchill's original tailor, hat, glasses and shoemakers to provide bespoke authentic clothing and accessories made to his own measurements. As well as being his birthplace, Blenheim is where he proposed to his beloved wife. The wax figure is one of a series of new features set to open at the palace next month as part of a 1.9 million investment programme featuring the stable block and an art-themed restaurant and cafe. And beside this article there's a picture of Suday painting his uh, painting the bust face of Sir Winston. And I have to say it's a very realistic looking Sir Winston. Thank you, John and Barbara. Um, They'll both be back with some more stories soon. Um, But now it's the spot for the editor's choice of articles. This is more a reflection, I suppose, than a choice of articles, but it's a subject which I know concerns many in West Oxfordshire, speeding traffic. I live in a rural village which, in the 15 years since I moved there, has increasingly been troubled by the volume of traffic passing through thanks to new housing in neighbouring communities, and the speed at which some people drive. Our campaign to reduce the hazard of speeding traffic began four years ago, after a spate of dog and cat deaths on the roads, and we were grateful when our local county councillor helped arrange funds for a speed indication device to be installed at two of the entrances to the village. As a parish councillor, it now falls to me to collect the data each month from these electronic devices, to analyse it and to report back to the parish council and the wider village community. The maximum speed limit through our village is 30 miles an hour, and the results we have seen from these speed indication devices has been quite revealing, alarming even. The highest speed recorded during the month of April by a vehicle entering the 30 mile an hour zone was 62.4 miles per hour, which of course is more than twice the legal limit. In all, three vehicles were recorded travelling at more than 60 miles an hour, including one at 3pm, which is when the local school is just about finished for the day. I was very pleased then to learn that Oxford County Council, Oxfordshire County Council, has voted recently to support a reduction in the speed limit in communities such as ours from 30 miles an hour to 20 miles an hour. My only concern is that the county councillor who arranged our funding for the speed indication devices lost his seat at last week's elections. I hope we don't need to buy a replacement any time soon and I, think he's, and I hope his party sticks to its guns about the change of speed limits. Next is our weekly quiz. First, the answers to last week's questions. To which country does the island of Madeira belong? And the answer? Portugal. Portugal. We all knew that in the room. Let's see how we go on the second one. What is the collective name for a group of pigs? Anyone know that? The answer was drove. A drove of pigs. Yeah, there's some scepticism about that answer here, but 
Third question. What does a conchologist collect? Shells. That's correct. The answer is seashells. And for all our fashionistas in the room here, what does the DK stand for in the fashion label DKNY? Anybody know? Don't know. Don't know. (laughs) Could have been, but in fact it's Donna Coran. And finally, from last week, what name is given to a triangular piece of land at the mouth of a river? Delta. And the answer is Delta. Eric jumped in there ahead of everybody else. Now to this week's questions, which, with COVID restrictions being eased, they all relate to places to which we might travel again one day soon. First question, and no shouting out the answers, please. What city is located in both Europe and Asia? My question two, what is the oldest recorded town in the UK? And number three, which European country shares its border with the most neighbours? Question four, what is the smallest country in the world? And my final question, what is Scotland's fourth largest city by population? Answers next week. Now to our notice board. There are two listeners with birthdays uh, who are celebrating this week, both on the 16th of May. So it's Mrs Catherine Giles of Whitney, who will be 95, and Mrs Maggie Knight, also of Whitney, who will be 65. Congratulations and many happy returns of the day to you both. Now, the following deaths have been announced in the Whitney Gazette. Graham Thomas Speak died on the 28th of April, aged 71. John Lyford died on the 1st of May, aged 68. Richard Todd died suddenly on the 2nd of May, aged 56. On the same date, John Frederick Halflett of Whitney, who was a great-grandfather, died aged 91. Another great-grandfather, Sidney Frederick Finlayson, who was 95 years old, died on the 4th of May. And Earl William Brown, who was born in Toledo in the United States but lived in West Oxfordshire for many years and was a Whitney postman, he died on the 5th of May, aged 91. Our condolences to family and friends. And we would like to say a big thank you to Rosemary Colbeck, who, in returning her um, stick to us this week, uh, enclosed a cheque for us to help us on our way. Um, And she adds a note to that as well, which says, Thank you all so much for your peace in keeping the flag flying in these difficult circumstances. So thank you to you, Rosemary. And next is John, who will read uh, the exciting news about um, Oxford United, which is the one sports story in the Whitney Gazette this week. What a feeling. 
Cameron Brannigan was thrilled to help Oxford United extend their extraordinary season as they beat Burton Albion to reach the Sky Bet League 1 playoffs. The U's won 4-0 at the Kassam Stadium on the final day of the campaign to snatch 6th place from Portsmouth, who were beaten 1-0 by Accrington Stanley at Fratton Park. It sets up a playoff uh, semi-final against Blackpool, with the Tangerines visiting a week tomorrow, when this was written, and the return leg at Bloomfield Road three days later. The victory was extra special for Brannigan, who turned 25 yesterday, and the midfielder could not have been happier. It's the best birthday present I could have asked for, he said. At half-time, we saw that Portsmouth were 1-0 down. It spurred us on even more. There was no way that we were going to lose our game. Every man showed that fighting spirit today. Football's a weird and wonderful game, and we just had to take care of ourselves, and we did it. Mide Shoddypo's 10th minute header set the U's on their way, with Matty Taylor adding a second just before the half hour mark. Elliot Lee's free kick sealed victory early in the second period, and Sam Winnell slammed home on the volley in stoppage time of last weekend's clash. A second successive shot at the playoffs is extra impressive considering the U's were bottom of the table at the start of November, and still in the relegation zone a month later. It has been a roller coaster campaign, and Brannigan knows that more than most, having missed three months after a rare inflammation behind the eye threatened his sight. He said it has been a mad season, lots of ups and downs, personally, and with the team, and all that is now gone. We only look forward. We've got huge games coming up. Car crime hotspots in Oxfordshire revealed The worst streets and areas for crime, car crime in Oxfordshire have been revealed. Co-op has published an interactive map showing car crime hotspots in the county by the number of incidents that have taken place in the past six months. The John Radcliffe Hospital car park was the worst for car crime in Oxford within seven, with seven incidents taking place in the last six months. Thames Valley Police has issued advice on how people can prevent car theft. Their tips include locking the vehicle, keeping keys safe, being aware of carjackers, parking responsibly, double-checking electronic locking and fitting good in-car security locks. The force has similar advice when it comes to theft from cars. It urges people to make sure windows and sunroofs are closed, fit locking anti-tamper wheel nuts to secure alloy wheels, hide electrical items and park in well-lit and staffed car parks. Elsewhere in Oxfordshire, Bicester Village Car Park had five car crime-related incidents in the past six months. There were 25 incidents in the Kidlington area, 36 in Abingdon, 41 in Whitney, 52 in Bicester, 23 in Carterton and 91 in Banbury. Cherwell Valley Services of the M40 had 55 incidents in the same time period. 
while welcome brake services off the M40 near Oxford had 34. Incidents had been reported to the police in the past at Cherwell Valley services, such as in August 2019, when suitcases, holdalls, iPads, Apple phone chargers, laptops and luggage were stolen from cars. More recently, in March, people were left shocked and calling for immediate police action after a number of vehicles were damaged in an early morning crime spree in Abingdon. Locals took to social media to voice their outrage as up to 15 cars were left with broken windscreens and wing mirrors. Two new travel lodges get ready to open up. Two new travel lodge hotels are to open when coronavirus restrictions ease. The hotels in Farringdon and Whitney are among 17 new ones being opened by the chain across the UK this year. Travel Lodge now has nine hotels in Oxfordshire, with the latest two set to create 35 new jobs. The Farringdon Travel Lodge is Henry Blake Way, has 74 rooms, while the Whitney Travel Lodge in Ducklington Lane has 63. Wesley Osborne, Travel Lodge District Manager for Oxfordshire, said it's great to mark coming out of lockdown with the announcement that we are extending our Oxfordshire network by opening a further two hotels in new local markets and becoming the county's biggest branded hotel chain. These two new travel lodges are part of 17 new hotels we are opening across the UK and will boost our Oxfordshire presence to nine hotels. It is very challenging opening two hotels in a pandemic, but we are extremely proud to have built two fantastic hotel teams. Mr Osborne said there was a high number of applicants to fill the 35 new jobs. We were overwhelmed by the record number of high-calibre applications received. The teams are currently being trained in nearby travel lodge hotels and we will be working around the clock to get our two hotels open by May the 17th. Mum who lost babies leaps from plane to fund stillbirth research. A mother who lost two sons has done a skydive to raise money for a charity that helps families affected by the death of a baby. Chrissy Portnell, 33, and husband Gregory, 36, have been trying for a baby for 10 years. After having tried to get pregnant and having many tests, they saw a consultant at a fertility clinic in 2014 and were told their only option was IVF treatment. However, Mrs Portnell started to lose weight and her husband gave up smoking and in June 2015, something made her take a pregnancy test. It was positive. However, on October the 4th that year, things started to go wrong. I knew I was losing my baby, she said. The ambulance was called and I was rushed to the John Radcliffe Hospital At 6.20pm, sadly, our son George was born at 16 weeks. But about seven months later, Mrs Portnell fell pregnant naturally again. Another surprise. She said, we were regularly checked with scans due to what happened with the last pregnancy and even felt the baby kick around 17 weeks. On the morning of August 24th, 2016, I was rushed to hospital where they checked the baby's heartbeat. It was still beating. 
I thought there was a chance the baby was okay, but when the doctor checked me, they couldn't save the pregnancy. They discovered I had a severe infection. They had to induce me, and I think I was in labour for around 11 hours. Theodore was born at 19 weeks and three days old on August 25th at 9.05am. We were heartbroken for it to happen to us again. There were no words to describe the pain we were suffering to lose another baby. To cope with their grief, the couple spoke to the charity Sands, which supports families affected by stillbirth and neonatal death. Mrs Portnell said, I decided in December 2020 that I wanted to raise some money for them, and I saw them mention they were holding a skydive event in May, so I signed myself up. I've never done anything like this before, but in May I jumped out of a plane at 13,000 foot at Hinton Airfield at Brackley. Mrs Portnell has so far raised £2,119 for SANS, which funds research to cut the number of baby deaths. Oh, that is sad, isn't it? And to finish with, a piece-headed baby takes his first bow. Cotswold Wildlife Park has marked World Binturong Day by showing off the newest addition to the Binturong family, a cub called Rambutan. The Burford attraction is home to more than 1,500 animals from across 250 different species, but one animal sparks a great deal of curiosity due to its bizarre appearance and sweet aroma, the Binturong. Binturongs, also known as beer cats, sorry, no, bear cats, <laughs> originate from the rainforests of Southeast Asia, and are, they are the only creature to emit a scent which resembles buttered popcorn. The park's adult bitterong pair, Dobie and Himala, have bred for the first, for the, sorry, for the second time. Keepers like to name the cubs after fruits of their native land. So the new cub, born last autumn, has been called Rambutan. His sister, born in 2019, is Coconut. And we have a picture here of a young lady, presumably his keeper. I'm not quite sure how you describe a binturong. <laughs> got long whiskers and four legs and presumably a tail. Um, <laughs> Well, that completes this edition. We hope you enjoyed it. Uh, Our thanks go to the Whitney Gazette for the articles we've used this week. And my special thanks go to our recording engineer, Eric Imson. Thank you also to our readers this week, Barbara Barringer and John Ashwell. Our admin team this week are Nigel James and Penny Brading. And our copiers and packers are Doreen Turner and John Ashwell who is wearing two hats this week, as well as describing a binturong. <laughs> Keep listening at the end of the programme for an info sound item which gives some highlights of this week's best radio listening. But for now, I know everyone at Whitney Talking News would like to wish you well, and so until our next edition, we will say goodbye. goodbye. Bye. TNF Soundings. Features from across the UK.
Now for a look at some of this coming week's radio highlights, starting with Saturday, May 15th. The drama at 3pm on Radio 4 is opening Pandora's box. American silent film star Louise Brooks will forever be associated with her iconic performance as Lulu, the ultimate femme fatale of the 1929 German movie Pandora's Box. Ninety years on, writer Katie Himms wonders what on earth to do about Lulu. Opera on 3 from the Met at 6.30 on Radio 3 features a Metropolitan Opera production of Richard Strauss's De Frau Otten Schatten, meaning The Woman Without a Shadow. The work explores the nature of love and human psychology through a drama of two contrasting couples. You may prefer something a little more light-hearted. At 7.15 on Radio 4 is the amusing My Teenage Diary, and this week Rufus Hound is joined by comedian and impressionist Jan Ravens as she opens up about her formative years. Finally, for Saturday, May 15th, Archive on 4 tells the extraordinary story of the longest-running and most successful secret intelligence operation of the 20th century, in which the CIA and the German intelligence agency covertly run a Swiss-based company that supplied governments around the world a service to keep communications between spies, soldiers and diplomats secret. A spy in every embassy is at 8 o'clock on Radio 4. On to Sunday, May 16th, Lauren Laverne's Castaway on Desert Island Discs this week at 11am on Radio 4 is American physicist Professor Brian Green, co-founder of the World Science Festival. Followed at 11.45 by Just One Thing with Michael Mosley. And this week he reveals that standing on one leg is beneficial for both body and brain as he looks at what happens to our balance as we age. In Thought Cages at 2.45 on Radio 4, Rory Sutherland explores fresh, intriguing and iconoclastic ideas. This week, it's whether we would be better off selecting our MPs at random. Followed at 3 on Radio 4, the drama Hardy's Women, Two on a Tower, a fresh look at the novels of Thomas Hardy through the eyes of his female protagonists. Lady Viviette Constantine is isolated in a small village and married to the brutal Sir Blount Constantine. But one day she meets a kind young astronomer. Radio 2 at 7, Sunday night music night. Another chance to hear a special concert featuring symphonic renderings of the songs of ABBA. Stephen Bell conducts the BBC Concert Orchestra and the singers from Capital Voices. And for Sunday, finally, May 16th. Stephen Mangan talks to novelist Marian Keyes about three moments from her life of which she is ashamed. That's The Confessional at 7.15 on Radio 4. On to those programmes then, which are broadcast each day during the week at the same time. Same radio station, same time, each day, Monday to Friday. Book of the Week at 9.45 on Radio 4 each day is How I Learned to Understand the World, the memoir of healthcare thinker and practitioner Hans Rosling, in which he looks back at the events that shaped his world view. It's repeated each night at half past midnight. Woman's Hour at 10 each day returns to its original 60 minutes, which means the daily 15-minute drama has been dropped. Emma Barnett presents the first of the hour-long editions of the show. Composer of the week at 12 noon on Radio 3 each day is Gabriel Froe. Donald MacLeod explores some of the many turning points in this composer's career, who had something of a Don Juan reputation, attributed to his broken engagement to the daughter of singer Pauline Vardo. Just after midday each day on Radio 4 is Snowflake, 
Irish writer Louise Nealon's debut novel about a girl from a remote dairy farm who wrestles with life at university and her uncle's alcoholism. Repeated as book at bedtime each night, 10.45pm. Then at 1.45 each day on Radio 4 comes It Ain't Me You're Looking For, Bob Dylan at 80. To mark the singer's 80th birthday, Sean Latham, director of the Institute for Bob Dylan Studies at the University of Tulsa, looks at life, work and influence of this great artist through his many songs. Drama each day at 2pm on Radio 4, except Friday, is The Corrupted, the sixth and final series of G.F. Newman's crime thriller starring Toby Jones. The letter Brian has been waiting for has finally turned up. Can he use it? Finally, 7.45 each evening on Radio 4 is A Big Disease with a Little Name, which explores the emergence of HIV or AIDS through the stories of those who were at the front line at the time in the 80s. On to Monday, May 17th, The Untold at 11am on Radio 4 is entitled One Boat, Three Storms. Fisherman Billy Phillip catches shellfish off the coast of Skye. Not an easy profession made even harder owing to Covid and new Brexit regulations. The programme follows Billy as he tries to stay afloat, literally. Much more like many other small-scale fishermen around the country. The afternoon concert at 2 o'clock on Radio 3 features the BBC Scottish Symphony with two pieces by Mendelssohn, Overture, The Hebrides, Fingal's Cave and Symphony No. 1 in C minor and Mozart's Piano Concerto No. 18 in B-flat. Parallel Lives at 8pm on Radio 4 looks back at the 2001 race riots in Oldham, Burnley and Bradford. Reporter Barney Chowdhury hears from people who work to build bridges in the community and also hears how the period may have been an early indicator of dissatisfaction in traditional Labour heartlands. For those night owls amongst us, a programme may be worth staying up even later for when Frank met Billy at 3am on Radio 2. Now that is late. Jamie Cullum explores the connection between jazz giant Billie Holiday and her contemporary Frank Sinatra, who in 1959 cited her as unquestionably the most important influence on American popular music in the last 20 years. If you can't stay up that late, it is available, I'm sure, on BBC Sounds. Tuesday, May 18th at 11am on Radio 4 comes Do Not Resuscitate. Yasmin Khan investigates clinical resuscitation, talking to terminally ill patients and bereaved family members and discusses ethical issues surrounding the use of Do Not Resuscitate notices. The afternoon concert at 2 on Radio 3 highlights the Scottish Symphony Orchestra again, this time with works by Debussy, Tippé, Stravinsky and Haydn. A new series at three on Radio 4 is Shortcuts, in which Josie Long presents documentaries and audio adventures about silence, from an artwork that uses sound outside of the range of human hearing to a story about the silence which lies between generations in a family. Then at 4pm on Radio 4 is Girl Stuck in Basketball Hoop. During a three-month period in 2019, three girls got stuck in basketball hoops in the East Riding, Yorkshire town of Ghoul. This story in the local newspaper caught comedian Ian Smith's eye and he tries to find out what exactly happened in his hometown and why. In Touch with Peter White is at 8.40 as usual on Tuesdays on Radio 4, followed by All in the Mind at 9pm. Claudia Hammond talks to researchers of Sussex University who are conducting a new study into misphonia, a condition that causes sufferers to feel panic, anxiety and even rage at hearing some everyday noises. 
Wednesday, May 19th, the final programme in the series, Life Changing, 9am Radio 4. Jane Garvey talks to Tony Koofy, who, as a child, was kicked out of a music class at school, told he wasn't any good, and told to study woodwork instead. When he did, but then a dramatic life-changing moment, a fall from the roof of a building he was working on, led him to becoming an acclaimed jazz saxophonist. The afternoon concert at two o'clock on Radio 3 is a specially curated concert featuring orchestral arrangements by British composer Tom Coult and violinist Daniel Pirro of well-known pieces from the medieval and Baroque periods. At 6.30 on Radio 4 comes a second series of the comedy set in a library, Shh, written and starring Moena Banks and Rebecca Front. Alice and Snoo resort to unconventional methods to get hold of a passport. Finally for Wednesday, May 19th, tonight's special guest on The Folk Show with Mark Radcliffe is Martin Carthy, who's about to turn 80. To call him the grand old man of English folk music is to sell him a little short, as he remains too active and committed to be thought of as a mere figurehead. Nine o'clock, Radio 2, as they look back on his career. Thursday, May 20th, the afternoon concert at two o'clock on Radio 3 features Stefani's Naobi, recorded in 2010 at London's Royal Opera House. It tells the story of Queen Naobi, whose pride insults the gods and as punishment her children are killed and in her grief she turns to stone. At three o'clock on Radio 4 comes Ramblings and this week Claire Balding accompanies screenwriter Kay Meller on her favourite route in the estate of Harewood House near Leeds. And at 11 o'clock on Radio 4 in the evening 52 first impressions with David Quantic. His stories about... Ronnie Barker and Mel Brooks, as David reflects on some of the snap judgments he was made about people. Finally, Friday, May 21st, in prison break this week at 11am on Radio 4, Josie Bevan returns to the attack at Fishmongers Hall in November 2019 in London, when former convict John Crilly was hailed as a hero for tackling the terrorist with a fire extinguisher. And Dave Merritt shares more about what motivated his dead son Jack's work with prisoners. The drama at 2.15 on Radio 4 is Precious Little Thing, the third of three new plays from Tuala Theatre Company. Two women's journeys collide in the dead of night when they meet unexpectedly in the garden of a London mansion, but it's soon revealed that they haven't been entirely honest with each other. Meeting Myself Coming Back this week features Private Eye editor and satirist Ian Hislop. He looks back at key moments from his life and career through clips from the BBC archive. Radio 4, 9pm and maybe to finish off this week why not tune into Stephen Nolan on Radio 5 Live from 10pm hear his interesting take on the day's main news stories with interviews and topical debate as ever may I wish you a peaceful, safe and enjoyable week of radio listening TNF Soundings 